Well, good morning, everyone. If you wouldn't mind, uh, stand and let's greet one another for about uh, 30 or 45 seconds. Say hello to your brothers and sisters. We are glad. Words of 
Together, together as God's people to worship the Lord, isn't it? If you're here today, we welcome you here to our services this morning. If you're online, we wish you'd come see us in person. Uh, we have a few announcements to make this morning uh, before we get started. One of which is that uh, bride-elect of Jonathan Knight, Joanna Blake, will have a shower at our home, 2.30 to 3 o'clock today. So all are invited here at the church for that. Please come. We have a lot of parking, and we'll get our dogs so they don't bother you, so you'll be good. So, I, I want to make a little clarification for the last time I was up here. I had mentioned two Christian men I knew that were held political office, and I by no means wanted to be endorsing a candidate for an office. Politicians do one thing. They continue to run for things. And me mentioning two God-fearing men that I knew by name was not an endorsement of those that would be incorrect and improper for that to happen from this pulpit. So I just wanted to kind of get that straightened out if there was any question or confusion about that. So we have talked over the past few years, elders, staff, about Bible class attendance. We have texted each other, we've emailed each other, we've met with each other, we've read articles, we've sent articles back and forth, and we did everything in the world we could do, we thought, because we wanted to increase Bible class attendance. How you do that? You know, we missed the obvious. The obvious was we forgot to tell y'all we wanted to do that. So (laughs) we want to increase our Bible class attendance, and we want you you to find a spot and a place in this church in a Bible class at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. We want to encourage y'all to attend. You think, well, weathers, that wasn't too bad. You didn't step on my toes too bad, so we'll be all right. And you're right. But there is a group I am going to step on your toes for, so I hope you have your steel boots on, so steel toe boots. If you're in the what we call the We Connected Young Marrieds class, it's really not the Young Marrieds anymore. It's called We Connected. They're very connected, very active. It's a group of people who's, I guess the best definition of, if you still have kids that are at home with you, or if you had kids, they would be at home with you, you need to be involved in that class. That class is a wonderful class. They uh, are very connected with each other. There is a lot of uh, support amongst each of them with each other, a lot of extracurricular activities. It is a very, very good class, and it is uh, led by Chad Chauncey and Kelly Monahan on Sunday morning. They do an excellent job teaching that class. And so to throw out another one, they've got this guy. He's a little squirrely, but on Wednesday night at 6.30, he teaches the class. That would be a guy named, last name Weathers. So I don't know if they enjoy what I say. I think they enjoy anticipating what thing I might come up with next. So, But if you are... 
Looking to be more connected at this church, you need to find a Bible class to attend Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And I just want to encourage you all to come because we have had these discussions quite a bit. But I think we kind of forgot to tell you all about that. I think it will work out better if we do. So I have a few other announcements to make. Um, that some of these are in your bulletin and some are not. So uh, we want to extend our love and sympathy to Dale and Dot White and the loss of their daughter, Laurie Osborne. She died February 9th, as well as uh, Christy Weathers and the passing of her father, Don Alcorn, uh, not long ago. We want to uh, also keep in mind the family of Teresa Liskey. She was the secretary at the Broadway congregation here in Tyler. And uh, just the last thing that we have come up with was uh, that Henry McCreese passed away Thursday of this past week. And his services will be Tuesday at 11 a.m. at Lloyd James and visitation at 10 a.m. Henry will be very much missed at this church. He was a interesting fellow. He was. He told me. He said, "I'm the only. Our family's only McReeses in the in the planet." And I said, "What do you mean, Henry?" He said, "Well, my dad came across the border about 100 years ago, and they messed up our name on his papers when they came across. They put MC in front of Ruiz." He said, I'm the only Scottish-Mexican there is. I mean, that's just what we are. So <laughs> Henry had quite a sense of humor, and he loved to fish, and he loved people, and he will be dearly missed. So we have a few prayer requests as well that are last minute. We want to pray for Eileen Clark and everybody together start prayer at 7 a.m. on Friday because she has surgery starting at 8 a.m. this coming Friday. So at 7 a.m., Set your timer on your phone to remember to pray for her that her surgery will go well. Our prayers will be with her. We also want to pray for Tracy Mosier, who is in the hospital in Longview, who is a friend of Sandra Wilkinson. We also want to pray for Shelby Barrett, who is the daughter of Shay Wingate, who is in ICU right now in very serious condition, Mother Frances, and there will be, she'll be undergoing surgery today. So let's go to our Father in prayer as we begin our worship service and remember all those. Dear God, we come before you this morning as your church, as your people, those that look to you for our guidance in our life amidst the crazy turmoil that we see in this world in which we live. We know that there is peace and comfort and joy and hope only in you and nothing else. We recognize you, dear God, as the creator of this universe and the sustainer of life itself. We thank you for that. We thank you for the avenue of prayer that we can approach your throne very humbly, asking you for strength and guidance and praying for all those that we have mentioned this morning. We're praying for uh, Eileen Clark that her surgery will go good this week. We want to pray for the family of Henry McReese and and Christy Weathers, and and uh, also want to pray for Shelby Barrett and her surgery today, as well as Tracy Mosier and, and the others that we have mentioned. We have many difficulties in this life, dear God, and we pray, dear Heavenly Father, that we will always come together as Christians because there's strength in numbers, and we'll come to you with our our problems that we have in our life, as well as our thanksgiving to you for all our many blessings. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, that as your people, that we will find joy in looking for living today and having hope for tomorrow and, and not live in the past. You've told us that we need to forgive those who have trespassed against us, or you will not forgive us our trespasses. And we pray, dear Heavenly Father, that we'll be cognizant of that that we will actively live a life that is a forgiving life, that we will forgive others when they have done harm to us or done us in ways that were not right. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, that you will help us to also to look to you for repentance so that we can not live life yesterday, that we don't have to carry all the baggage with us of all of our, our failings in the past and our sins and things that we should not have done that we can live today 
knowing that we're forgiven, knowing that we should make sure that we communicate that to the rest of the world, that we know that we're forgiven and we have joy in that, the joy that cannot come from fame or power or fortune, the, the foolish things that the world chases after. We only can find joy in knowing that we are your people attempted to do your will as best we can. We cannot live yesterday over again. We cannot live in the past in a relationship with you because it is self-destructing. It's self-destructing of our relationships and our family and with our spouses. We have to live today and have hope for tomorrow. We see that living in the past will also destroy a nation, and we see that in our nation now. And we pray, dear Heavenly Father, that we will... Help the world focus on, on, on the future, on a bright future, and direct it to be a bright future. We pray for peace throughout the world, dear Heavenly Father, as there are hostilities and saber-rattling throughout the world, and we pray for peace. We hate to see our young men and women subjected to a war and conflict that hopefully will be unnecessary. We come together this morning, dear Heavenly Father, to sing songs of praise to you and, and have prayers of blessing and thanksgiving to you and study a portion of your word. Pray, dear Heavenly Father, that we will always be your people and that you are our God and that we will not forget that the other days of this week. We fail you often, dear Heavenly Father, for that we are truly sorrowful and we pray for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. To prepare our minds for the taking of the Lord's Supper, I selected Ivory Palaces, a rare song in our hymn book written in a minor key. Most of our songs, of course, are written in a major key. So it has a beauty that's unique for that. But most importantly, I couldn't think of a better hymn to choose because of the lyrics. Listen carefully. Out of the ivory palaces, into a world of woe, only his great eternal love made my Savior go. Let's sing together. My Lord has garments so wondrous fine, and
A few months ago, we watched a movie on television called The Dig, D-I-G, The Dig. It's a true story based on true events about a woman named Mrs. Petty who uh, at the beginning or or before the Second World War started, she uh, owned a uh, place in England and uh, there were a lot of mounds out in a field that she owned. And she had wondered about those mounds and asked a a man named Brown, Mr. Brown, who was a self-taught archaeologist, if he would come and and, uh, dig around those mounds to see what they might be. And he came and he did that. And uh, he unearthed what is uh, known as maybe the greatest or one of the greatest archaeological finds of the 20th century. He, uh, he found an Anglo-Saxon ship, although there was not a river very close by, but there was a ship that was buried in that field with uh, its burial chambers and the treasures that were there. But this movie had a scene in it that, uh, that touched my conscience a great deal. Ms. Petty had a son named Robert, probably about 10 years old. And Robert and Mr. Brown uh, developed a great relationship. Mrs. Petty was uh, actually dying with uh, rheumatic fever heart problems. And this 10-year-old boy... He knew that something was going on, but he didn't know what it was. No one had talked to him about it. And he saw his mother a time or two have a uh, rather slight problem, attack. And that worried him, but one night he saw her have a very serious attack. And he ran from the house. He was confused. He was upset. He was mad, he was crying, and he literally ran right into Mr. Brown. And as Mr. Brown tried to comfort him, he asked Robert what the problem was. And Robert said, when my father died, everyone said that I had to look after my mother. And I failed. I have failed. And Mr. Brown, in a very wise way, took Robert's chin in his hand and he said, Robert, we all fail every day. There are some things that we just cannot succeed at, no matter how hard we try. And I thought, what a perfect description of me. We fail every day. There are things that we cannot succeed at no matter how hard we try. We are all sinners. And we are like the Apostle Paul who said, I have the desire to do what's good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good things I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. So then with my mind, I serve the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Only the sinless, perfect Jesus Christ, who was crucified on the cross of Calvary, who rose from the dead, and who now sits at the right hand at the throne of God. He is the only one who can deliver us from this body of death. And we gather this morning around this table to remember that indescribable gift, Jesus Christ.
Would you bow as we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you from the bottom of our heart for the indescribable gift of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that you sent to the earth and who gave himself as a sacrifice for us that we might have the hope of eternal life. We pray that you will forgive us for our sins and that you will help us now as we take the bread representing his flesh that was pierced, that uh, we might do this in a righteous way. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Pray with me again. Father, we continue to offer you a thanksgiving prayer for Christ and for the blood that he shed that cleanses us from our sins. How thankful we are for that. We thank you for that indescribable gift again and help us to take it in a way that is pleasing to you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I'm going to offer a prayer also for the gifts that we have for the way Christ has blessed us not only with spiritual gifts but with things in this life for the worldly goods that we possess. And we need to share those. He didn't give us those to be stingy with he gave us those to share with others and there are a lot of ways that you can give to this church uh, in order to do that you can find those printed on the front of the bulletin that offer the ways that we can give to further the cause of Jesus Christ would you pray with me again for that father in heaven we thank you also for all of the things in this world that you've given to us the things that make our lives easy and comfortable and enjoyable. We pray that you will help us not to be stingy. Help us to have a caring and giving heart that we can help those who need to hear the gospel of Christ and others who have needs in their lives. And we pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen. morning. So a few weeks ago, some of our young men got the opportunity to go on a date. Um, they took uh, a group of our wonderful uh, ladies, some widows here from West Sirwin, and took them out to traditions. So as you can see on the screen, uh, they went and picked them up at their house or wherever they were. They took them back. They took them flowers. Um, I know even some of ours that uh, that their date wasn't able to make it, they still took them flowers and took it to their door, and they just loved it. Um, let's see. At Traditions, they carried their trays for them to the tables. We played a game together. It was just a great evening of fellowship. I asked some of our, our uh, youth this morning what their favorite part was. Uh, one of them said the conversations. There were some great stories they got told. Um, another one said the food. And then another one said he got to go on his first date with a 90-year-old, and so uh, we all had a wonderful time. Um, the whole goal of this was to bless our ladies while also giving an opportunity for the young men to experience going on a date, experience what it's like to uh, put your phone away and just engage in conversation with the person across from you, and uh, it was a great success. Um, I want to thank Kelly Monahan for putting it together getting it all arranged, and then also everyone who participated. Um, I know that it was a blessing for our guys and, and the women as well. Um, if you weren't able to go this year for whatever reason and you'd be interested next year, um, 
I think we're going to keep it going. We're going to keep it going. And uh, I know that there were a good number that uh, could have gone that, that weren't able to for whatever reason, and that's okay. But we want to encourage you. Uh, you will be blessed if you decide to partake in this. So uh, look forward to next year, and we had a great time. Thank you. Please stand to make it easy for them to pass through the aisles. And let's sing together, Shine, Jesus, Shine. For the light of your love is shining in the midst of the dark is shining. Jesus, light of the world, shine upon us. Set us free by the truth you now bring us. Shine. Today, there are lots of imposter Jesuses out there. If you're looking at your outline and we're trying to guess what's in that first blank, I can almost bet that the word you had in mind wasn't imposter. But there are a lot of imposter Jesuses out there. This morning begins a sermon series over the next month or so that talk about those imposter Jesuses those who are fake, and contrasting them with the real Jesus, the Jesus that is real. And so I want you to be thinking as we go through the lesson today and possibly sharing with me a little bit uh, sometime throughout the next week or two about what you think would be some of those imposter Jesuses. If you're going to take a look around at our culture, at our community, at our world today, and make a list of some imposter Jesuses that are taking the place in the lives of some of the real Jesus, who would be on that list? What would be the imposter Jesuses that you would know of, that you would think of? And of course, you can call them whatever you like and name them however you want. But over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at some of these imposter Jesuses and contrasting them with the real Jesus. On your sermon outline at the bottom in our bulletin, you'll see reference to a couple of resources that I'll be using uh, throughout this study. And you can uh, take a look at that and peruse those or ask me some questions, send me some questions, 
And uh, I'd love to have some conversation over the next several weeks as we go through this, this study. It seems today there are several lots, really, of imposter Jesuses out there. And so how do we find the real Jesus? How do we find out about the real Jesus? Well, we go to the Bible to find out about the real Jesus. Romans 10 verse 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing the message about Christ. More familiar translation, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How do we know how to recognize the imposter Jesuses that are out there? How do we know what the real Jesus actually looks like? How do we know what the real Jesus would say? How do we know what the real Jesus would have us do? Well, we turn to the Bible to find that out. And so as we begin this series, I want us to take a look at the real Jesus today and say a couple of things about him that will help set the groundwork and the foundation for the lessons that are to come on imposter Jesus's versus the real Jesus. And so I want us to uh, begin today by looking at the imposter Jesuses and what they say about Scripture. What do imposter Jesuses say about the Bible? You say, well, Bill, why is that important? Well, obviously it's important because, as we'll talk later, Jesus saw the Scripture as being the inspired Word of God. We do too. But what about the rest of our culture? What about the people around us? You know, as we're looking at uh, society and as we're trying to gauge uh, what people think about Scripture, what people think about Christians, what people think about uh, uh, the church, we tend to take a few of those that have zero respect for any of the above and lump them into the majority category. And what research has told us over the years and still tells us today that at least in this country, that's not true. It's just not true. Even today, when we feel like the Bible and Christian values are so much under attack, we sometimes lull ourselves into thinking nobody really believes the Bible anymore, nobody really goes to church anymore, and on and on it goes. And what research tells us is that's just not true. It's just not true. Barna Research and the American Bible Study, uh, Bible Society combined over the last year or so to do some very serious uh, research. And they did this with uh, adults ages 18 and up a year ago, January, in January of 2021. So a very recent study. And they studied over 3,300 adults, and they also included some of those young adults who were in the Gen Z generation, but also even younger, like seven and older, uh, that they also included for some of the responses. And the, um, the results of that are, are, are very interesting, and I'll just share a few with you right now. Those, one of the questions they were asked is, if If there was no Bible, would our country be better off or worse off or about the same without the Bible? And again, if you're looking at uh, television, social media, uh, movies, uh, hearing popular music, a lot of other things like that, you would think, well, uh, apparently the majority of people in this country think we'd be better off without the Bible. But that's not true. 54% say that without the Bible, we would be worse off. And you think, well, that number continues to go down. Actually, that's not true. In 2020, it was 49%. 49% said that uh, without the Bible, we would be worse off. 54% now say uh, that we would be worse off without the Bible. So a greater number think that the Bible helps. Uh, 33% say it, it would be about the same if there were no Bible. So when you put those two together, let me do the math, carry the one, seven, 87% say that we would either be about the same or worse off if there were no Bible. I think that's a pretty positive 
score. When asked the question, do you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God? And they could respond in several ways. Do you believe that the Bible is inspired and inerrant? In other words, no errors whatsoever and must be taken literally in every case. Or that it is inspired and has no errors, but sometimes it is, needs to be taken symbolically. And I think that's probably true. Or I, that's how I believe anyway. There are others who say, well, it is, it is inspired, but it has errors in it. I would not go there. And then, of course, others who say it's not inspired at all. And when you consider that, 70% say that the Bible is the inspired Word of God in one of those categories. And that is amazing. 55% in our country of general adult population say that the Bible is the inspired Word of God and it doesn't have errors in it. Things aren't quite as bad as you might have thought, right? When asked the question, do you read the Bible? 34% said they read the Bible at least once a week or more. Of course, we wish that number was much higher. But again, we're not talking about in the church. We're talking about in the general U.S. adult population. 34% read the Bible at least once a week or more. 42% read the Bible at least once a month or more. And then 16% read the Bible most days during the week. So you have 16% of our population who read the Bible almost every day. And 34% of our genuine population who reads it at least once a week. I think that's encouraging. It's more encouraging than what we might think. And again, those numbers seem to be, have increased over the last year. Well, so, so what does that mean, Bill? What's, what's the point of all of that? Well, the point is to remind us that it's not just uh, us and our immediate circle who value the Word of God, who value Scripture, who want to find the real Jesus. But a lot of our fellow students, friends at school, a lot of our co-workers, a lot of our neighbors, they believe the same thing. And I think it's important for us to ask those questions and to be that resource for them. And so as, as we're thinking about that, we realize that the real Jesus goes up against imposter Jesus's. And that the uh, Bible, the scripture, the word of God that describes the real Jesus and has his teaching in it, it also goes up against imposter Jesus's and what they say about the Bible. So just three examples of imposter Jesus's and what they say about the Bible. The first one is red letter Jesus. (laughs) Red letter Jesus. And you know what that one is, right? A lot of Bibles, including mine, I, I appreciate the red-letter editions of the Bible. A lot of uh, people might say, well, really, the only Scripture that you need to be concerned about <clears throat> is the Scripture that's written in red. It's the red letter, because really, that's where you find the words of Jesus. Well, granted, that's where you find the words of Jesus, but it's also the, being written by individuals who were inspired by God who are recording what Jesus said, <laughs> So yes, it's the words of Jesus, but it's the words of Jesus as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Paul in a couple of instances, uh, quoted Jesus as saying and shared his teaching. And so my thinking is, yes, the red le- I like the red letter edition, like I said, because it helps me be able to find those words of Jesus and those quotes from Jesus very easily. Some of you may remember uh, a, a tool, a Bible study tool from years ago called Sharpening the Sword that had this whole color coordination thing about how to highlight different things. If it was the words of Jesus, if it was a direct command, if it was related to a certain subject, then you had a certain color. And that's what I love and appreciate about the red letter Bible. But all of it is inspired. Well, secondly, what do imposter Jesus say about the Bible? Well, there's no Bible Jesus. This is the Jesus who says, well, you don't really have to worry about the Bible, just love me. 
Just trust me. And there are people in our country and around in our communities today who would say, really, you don't need to read the Bible. You don't need to study the Bible. All you need to do is trust Jesus. Love Jesus. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. And, and you'll be good. Well, is that what Jesus would say? Is that what we would believe? Well, of course, we believe that, that the Bible is important and that Scripture should be considered And as we'll see today, Jesus was not a no-Bible Jesus. Even the Son of God acknowledged the teaching of Scripture. And then the third example of a response to the question, what do imposter Jesuses say about the Bible? This third one is perhaps the most important for us today in this audience because it is no application Jesus. And this would be the Jesus who says, you know, it's important for you to know everything that's in here, but whether you do it or not, well, that's a whole other thing. Whether you apply it to your own life or not, well, that's something else entirely. Whether you make it relevant and applicable to our current cultural situation, really that's not important. What's important is that you know the facts. And I'm one of those who believes that we need to know the facts as best we can. But if we stop there, we are not being biblical. We're not being biblical. Because Jesus himself calls us to hear the message and do what it says. Apply the message to our lives. Make it relevant for ourselves and for our families and for our fellow church members and for our neighbors. To try to help them see that the real Jesus calls us to study and learn and know the Scripture, but as a part of that, it's applying it to our lives and actually living it out. Well, that's enough about the imposter Jesuses for this morning. What about the real Jesus? What does the real Jesus say about the Bible? And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the real Jesus has a lot to say about Scripture, interestingly enough. First of all, the real Jesus says all Scripture is inspired and authoritative. Jesus affirmed that. Not just Paul in 2 Timothy 3 or Peter in 2 Peter 1, but Jesus himself affirmed that all Scripture is inspired and authoritative. There are somewhere, depending on who you ask, around 300 express references to the Old Testament in the New Testament. 300. Many more indirect references, without a direct quote being acknowledged, and allusions to Old Testament Scriptures, and a large number of those are from Jesus, as recorded in the Gospels. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with an eye towards, okay, I want to pick out the places where Jesus talks about the Old Testament, the law or the prophets, the Psalms, you would find a lot, a lot. There are a lot of scriptures on your outline today. I just want to highlight a few. First of all, in Matthew 22. This is one of those places in Matthew 22 when Jesus gets hit with a ridiculous question from a sect of the Jews, the Sadducees, not because they're interested in what he has to say. They just want to trap him. And you think that gotcha questions started with today's media? Oh, no, 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 no. Now, today's media is really good at gotcha questions, that's for sure. But that's what they did with Jesus. And this particular gotcha question was this. It had to do with uh, marriage and divorce and remarriage. And it had to do specifically with what the Old Testament calls and what the culture of the day called the law of leveret marriage, which said if a man marries a woman and he dies before he has children, then the next brother is to marry that woman so that his brother's name can continue in the community. Well, so the Sadducees, they come up and they say, okay, well, what about this? What about this question? A woman marries a man, he dies, and so she marries his brother, and then his brother dies, and on and on and on it goes. And so their question is, well, finally the woman dies, and in, in heaven, if there is a resurrection, you see the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees did, but not the Sadducees. So they're asking Jesus this gotcha question to trap him into figuring out that there can't be a resurrection because this situation would deny it. And they ask this question, well, in heaven, whose wife would she be? She was married to all seven. 
And as I have said before, I'm thinking that if I was brother number five or six or seven, I would be somewhere in Australia. (laughs) And so Jesus looks at them, and this is what he says in Matthew 22, beginning in verse 29. Jesus replied, verse 29, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Now, these people knew all about the scriptures. They could quote you book, chapter, and verse. But Jesus said, you're in error because you do not know your Bible. You might can quote it, but you don't know it. And you don't know the power of God. And he goes on in verse 30. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. And so he answers their gotcha question, but he's not done. Verse 31, but about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And so not only does Jesus quote from the Old Testament to answer their question, he emphasizes the tense of the statement, of the verb. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when they were alive, but I am. Jesus had such a high view of Scripture that he even quotes that to prove his point. It's an amazing statement. He quotes from Hosea chapter 6 and other places, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus is confronted with uh, temptations from Satan, he answers each one with, it is written, scripture. Later on, when he preaches his first recorded sermon at his hometown of Nazareth in Luke 4, Jesus talks about how he, would, how he is living helping the poor, uh, fulfilling, uh, giving sight to the blind. And it's a direct quote of Isaiah 61. And as he hands them back the scroll of Isaiah and sits down, he says, this very day, this scripture is fulfilled right in front of your eyes. Later on in the book of Luke, in Luke 16, as Jesus tells the story of the the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man in torment wanting to send Lazarus to his home so that his five brothers would not come where he is. And yet Jesus in the parable has Father Abraham saying, no, they have Moses and the prophet. They have their Bible. Let them listen to that. And the man says, no, no, no. If they could just see something spectacular, they could just see something fantastic. Something different, something original. If someone could rise from the dead and stand before them, they would listen then and they would respond. And in the parable, Jesus has Abraham say, no, no. If they won't listen to their Bible and do what it says, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. And we know that that's true because we know that Jesus rose from the dead and we know that people were aware of that in the first century and yet they still would not respond. What are you waiting for to believe in Jesus? And so a couple of statements from Daniel Darling in the book, The Original Jesus. First, this one. Jesus didn't argue against Scripture. He argued from Scripture. He used Scripture to prove that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah, that people needed to listen to him. And that's so significant and so important. And I think of Wayne's wonderful communion meditation and taking us back to those words of the wonderful, faithful apostle, missionary, writer of Scripture, Paul himself acknowledging I'm a sinner. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I find myself doing. What a wretched man I am. Well, we're right there with Paul, just as Wayne said. Scripture helps us to see that. Jesus didn't argue against Scripture. He argued from Scripture, just as Paul did, just as we do today. And then this statement, all Scripture is written in red. (laughs) Ultimately, when you get down to it, it's all written in red. It's all the Word of God. It all comes from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's what the real Jesus says about the Bible 
And then secondly, I believe the real Jesus says this, knowing the Bible is not enough. Do what it says. And that's clearly seen in many passages But I'll just mention a few today. In Matthew 7, that familiar passage, Jesus says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And he goes on and talks about that. In John 13, he washes their feet and he says, Now that you know this is what you do, you should be blessed if you do it. You must do this for each other, just as I have done for you. James, the half-brother of the Lord, in that familiar statement, says, faith without works, faith without deeds is dead. Don't just be a hearer of God's word. Do what it says. This quote from the original Jesus, I'll admit I want to accept the Jesus who conforms to my image, the Jesus whose statements fit nicely on coffee mugs and T-shirts. But this safe, sanitized Jesus looks nothing like the real one. The one who came not to give me what I want, but to rescue me from the kingdom of darkness. This Jesus, the real Jesus, is dangerous and unpredictable, calling me to lay aside my life and follow him regardless of what it costs. Jesus came not to conform to our desires, but to transform us into his image. That's the real Jesus. And so some of my upcoming imposter Jesuses are Dr. Phil Jesus. That'll be fun. How's that working out for you? BFF Jesus. Post-church Jesus. And again, you may have some others. I'd love to hear some of yours. So as we close today, four things under this topic. Here's what the real Jesus calls you to do with your Bible. And again, we'll see this played out in the weeks ahead, but here's what the real Jesus calls you to do with your Bible. Number one, read your Bible. Read your Bible. And if I were to ask who believes that the Bible is the inspired word of God, I bet almost every single person would have their hand up in this congregation today. Those of you watching online, you would raise your hand in your living room or wherever you are. But then if I were to ask, how many of you read your Bible? Every day? Once a week? Once a month? If you don't read your Bible, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that you truly believe it is the inspired word of God. Because my thinking is, if you believed this was the inspired word of the almighty creator, eternal judge, God in heaven, we would read it and we would heed it. What does the real Jesus call us to do with our Bible? Number one, read your Bible. Number two, apply your Bible. You say, Bill, that's hard. I know. (laughs) I know it's hard. Do it anyway. Do the best you can. Get help. Apply it to your life, to your situation. Number three, live your Bible. Read your Bible, apply your Bible, and then live it. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do it. How do you know if you're a disciple, a follower of the real Jesus? Are you living your Bible? Are you doing what it says? And we have so many examples of that. The pictures that Tucker walked us through a few minutes ago of this wonderful date night. What a fabulous event. What a fabulous event. And I I love how he brought out that the the boy said one of the greatest things about it is that we actually had conversations. Who knew that you could talk to someone? Wow. (laughs) You don't have to text them. You don't have to email them. You don't have to TikTok them. Am I saying that right? (laughs) Probably not. A real good sign that the kids have moved on to what to a, a new technology is if I'm doing that technology. <laughs> They've moved on. Read your Bible, apply your Bible, live your Bible. We had a Valentine's dinner a week or so ago. It was wonderful. We have small groups today, many of which are, are meeting for lunch or are meeting for dinner tonight. That's living your Bible. 
Wade mentioned earlier our We Connected Young Adult group, and they are fabulous, and they are wonderful. And I saw a picture of their event last night, their date night event, and it was, it was amazing, that group, just amazing. And they're very committed to helping their children grow up knowing the Bible, knowing Jesus, the real Jesus. And we 100% support that. Read your Bible, apply your Bible, live your Bible, and lastly, share your Bible. Share it. I think if you're actually doing those first three, you're going to have opportunities to do number four as well, to actually share it. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life, beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. I'm looking forward to discussing the real Jesus with you in the weeks ahead, and I ask for your prayers as we do so. If we can help you come to that real Jesus, come as we stand, sing our song to you. Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see, wonderful words of Father, thank you for this wonderful day that we get to come together to worship you. Please be with our uh, people on the prayer and care list and help them have a speedy recovery and get back to their homes safe and sound. We thank you for Tucker and Elizabeth. They have been a light in our life and they bring out the best in everyone around them. Please be with us throughout this week and allow us to be good examples to those around us as we go throughout our days and school and works. Please forgive us of our sins. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.